following audio is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. If you're new with us this morning and visiting for the first time, my name is Pete. I'm a pastor here. I'm so glad that you've come to, to visit with us. Hope that you can make some friends and, and uh, get to know some new people here and also just enjoy the fellowship and, and worshiping God together and just growing in our faith. Um, you, you picked a good Sunday to come and visit. Uh, we're actually starting a new series this morning. Any, any Sunday, I suppose, is a, is a good Sunday, but this is per- particularly helpful. Uh, last week, we ended 1 John after 10 weeks in the book of 1 John. And um, we usually will either preach through an entire book of the Bible, um, kind of going straight through verse by verse and kind of, uh, kind of walking through it and teaching as we go, or we'll take uh, large portions of Scripture and, and read through those. Um, but what we're going to do over the next eight weeks is uh, take a portion of Scripture and actually spend eight weeks fleshing it out. And we're going to spend uh, some time in Matthew chapter 5 where we find the Beatitudes. Uh, it's, a, it's a common passage. Maybe you're familiar with it. Maybe not. But either way, I hope that as, if you're a new Christian or a mature Christian, a seasoned Christian, uh, we can all learn together and, and grow through this passage. It's, it's really, really great. And in the first book of the New Testament uh, is the book of Matthew. A lot of times if you're thinking, I don't know where to, I'm new to the Bible, I don't know where to read, sometimes you'll actually find yourself right here in the book of Matthew, the first book in the New Testament. Um, we find a sermon given by Jesus to a large crowd that has been gathered, and it's commonly referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. If you have a Bible that has red letter, you'll see as you start reading in chapter 5 and then keep turning the pages to 6 and 7, you'll see a lot of red. Is because Jesus is giving a sermon. He is talking and talking and talking, and you're saying, when is this kind of like what I'm going to do today? But he just keeps going on and on, and, um, and this is a sermon. And so uh, it's all about the kingdom of God, and I think it's good just to give a, a real brief introduction to this, and then we're going we're gonna to dive in. This sermon is all about the kingdom of God. The coming of the kingdom of God was good news. Um, the telling of the kingdom was out, telling of a time when the great God would be king over all of creation and he would rule with justice and mercy and the people living in the kingdom would be under his provision, his care, his love and protection in order to carry out the the righteous works of God's will. And so you wanted to be in the kingdom of God. It was a privilege to be in the kingdom of God. And the start of his ministry, of Jesus' public ministry, he He says, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. And it is at the beginning of this sermon where we find these eight beatitudes. Beatitude is Latin for blessedness. These eight blessings, each phrase beginning with the word blessed. And it's here we'll spend the next eight weeks. And with these eight, Jesus describes to his hearers a a portrait of a citizen in the kingdom of God. Uh, What does this person look like who is part of this forever kingdom? It's not a description of rewards that that are gained by merit, but a description of blessings that are given by God by his grace and mercy. It's his own description of what a follower of Jesus looks like. And so when we read through these eight, I don't want you to think that these are a description of of maybe a super-Christian like an elite Christian, someone who's finally arrived, someone that's really mature in their faith, and has maybe followed God for for many, many years. But it's distinguishing marks of of everyone who is a follower of Christ, and every genuine follower of Jesus. And I often think of these, something like this, characteristics of a certain citizen or person when, you know, watching the Olympics, or even lately watching the World Cup. 
Now, you know, the Germany team, people from Germany, everybody looks German. Believe it or not, everybody on the Brazilian team looks, Brazil team looks Brazilian, and everybody on the USA team looks like, like everybody else. And, and I think that's something unique and wonderful and beautiful about, about, about the USA in that way, but people generally don't like it if you get their, their ethnicity wrong or their, their country of origin wrong. I remember our trip to, to Norway one time. We, one of the first things they told us when we landed was, don't call us Swedish. Uh, we're not from Sweden. We're Norwegian, but we love Ikea. And so, so we, everything was Ikea. And there is something that being, there's something about being a Christian that you do not want to hear. You, it is not a compliment. It's a bad thing when someone says, you say you're a Christian, but I can't tell you apart from everybody else. And so it's a good topic. It's a good question to ask. It, in the kingdom of God, what are the distinguishing marks of its citizens? What are the distinguishing marks of a follower of Jesus? Instead of being identified by race and gender and age or social status or economic success, the distinguishing marks of the citizens of the kingdom of God are the marks by which everyone is recognized. And we're not talking about, you know, what are the people in heaven going to look like? Is everybody going to have that Jesus fish on their car? Is that how we're going to know? And we even see Jesus that says, you know, there's, there's no longer male or female. There's no slave or free. There's no Greek or Jew. He is saying there are, there's a, there are distinguishing marks of a follower of Christ, and it, it is not the things that everybody else in the world looks to. And so what, is, what does God see? What does he form within us? And this is what Jesus aims to communicate in this, in this sermon. There's spiritual realities that change the way that we think and feel and interact with everything in our world. And what is maybe most noticeable is how these characteristics are not what you might expect. They seem like paradoxes. They appear to contradict one another. Blessed are the poor for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. So there is wealth in poverty. There is comfort in mourning. There's fullness in hunger. And so we call this series Upside Down because we, what we normally see as broken and a loss, God sees as life. He turns it upside down on its head. He says the way that the world sees wisdom, the way that the, looks, the world looks at things that are important, he says, I... I'm going to tell you some things that might surprise you. And so I'll be giving a sermon. These next eight weeks, I'll be giving a sermon of a sermon. It's like taking a picture of a picture. It's like coming across like a, a, an old Picasso that I found like at a yard sale and then taking a picture of it and throwing it up on Instagram and saying, look at what I have. And it's not so much, the real question is, oh, what does it look like? The real question is, what are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with it? Are you going to sell it? Are you going to auction it off? Are you going to hang it in your office? What are you going to do? And so we're going to answer, what does this mean? What, are these, what do these verses mean? It's, it's kind of odd because each week we're only going to work through one verse. One verse every week, which we'll read in a moment. And we should ask, what does this mean? There is one interpretation. There is one interpretation, one thing that Jesus is trying to get across in it. There aren't many interpretations. But then we should ask, well, what does this mean for us today? What does it mean for me today in my life? And so there are many applications. The way we apply this, this verse, these verses are might be different for each of us, and so we'll spend a lot of time doing that, examining the kind of work that God desires to do in all of us 
who follow him. And so why don't we do that? Why don't we read um, Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 to 12. <clears throat> if you have your Bible, um, if you don't own a Bible or have a Bible, there's a Bible in the seat in front of you. You can grab that, and actually you can take that home. It's, it's a gift from us to you. I hope that you'll enjoy that, use it, uh, read it, bring it back, and, and, and uh, just make it your own. And so we'll, we'll follow along here in Matthew 5. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage that we can work through, your words to us that are our authority, they are good, they are good for our, our discipline, they are good for our knowledge and understanding, they are good for us to know who you are and how you desire to be worshipped. Lord, they are life-giving, they are good because they search our heart, they uncover any wrongdoing, and they, by, by your leading, they lead us to recognize those needs and, and open up our, our hands to you, to receive from you. Be with us this morning as we, we work through this, Lord. Would you speak through my words to the people here? We thank you for Holy Cross and the wonderful people that have gathered. We thank you for their hearts of, of service and desire to, to know you and to, to love one another. And Lord, I, I do come this morning with a heavy heart, with everything going on in, in the world. Not only in our lives, there's enough going on in our own homes but as we see what's going on in the world around us, it, it troubles us, it confuses us. When we see the, the grief and pain in Russia and the Ukraine and in Nigeria and the Middle East and even on our own border, how heartbreaking it is to see lives lost and, and people's lives be turned upside down where they are afraid and confused. And Lord, we don't, we, we lack a, a wisdom, a kind of wisdom that can understand everything and why things are going on the way they are. But you are, you are wise, Lord. You are kind. You are good. You're loving. And you are you're gracious. And so we, we cry out to mercy to you. We ask for your wisdom and how we, ought to, how we ought to live and to walk in the midst of chaos in our life. We think of people in our, even in our own church and in their homes, people who are dealing with surgery and recovering from sickness and pain. People whose marriages and relationships are struggling. Lord, you know our needs, and we ask that you would just be with us, that your presence would be made known among us, and that we would turn to you and trust in you in all things. And so we gather this morning with, with open, open hands and an open heart so that you will fill it and fill us with your joy. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The tone that Jesus uh, starts of this sermon is a good one. When it comes to discipleship, it is not not a matter of what we have that is important, but understanding what we do not have. It describes a person's poverty. It describes a person's bankruptcy and deep need that they have. I was talking recently with a good friend, someone who's skeptical of the Christian faith. They're kind of looking around at other religions. They're trying to uh, find out more that uh, might be of interest to them and kind of go outside of the Christian faith and trying to learn more things. And as he's investigating different types of religions, as he's investigating Christianity, he turns to me and says, don't you, I, I just love the message of Christianity. I like what it communicates. Don't you agree? And of course, I love, the, I love the gospel. I love the, the message of God's grace and his forgiveness for us. But I actually turned to him and said something that might be very, that was actually quite surprising to him. And I said, no, I'm not pleased with the message of Christianity at all. I don't like the message of Christianity because it is not flattering to me. If you read through the Bible and genuinely read through and, and read what it says about us, it doesn't talk very well of us. Apart from the grace of God, it says things like we're, we're dead in sin and we're, uh, we're blind to the truth. We're incapable of doing any good that would lead to salvation on our own. That on our own we're completely broken and, and needy. That we're just needy people and capable of doing anything good for God on our own. And so I say, no, I don't like what it says about me. It says that I am miserable without God. And I don't like that. If anybody in our lives, a friend, a, a neighbor, a spouse, a co-worker, talked to us the way that God talks to us, we would never have anything to do with them. How dare you talk to me about it? How dare you say that about me? And Jesus is contradicting all human wisdom as he begins this sermon by saying the kingdom of God is given to the poor. The kingdom is given not to the rich. The, the, it's given to the feeble, not the mighty. The little children who are humble enough to accept it, not those who boast in their abilities, not those who have done something great to attain it and deserve it. And we see this expressed in a great story that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 18. And I'll, I'll read it. You can follow along. It's, it'll be on the screen here. Uh, Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves they were, that they were righteous, and he treated and treated others with contempt. And he said, Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like the other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Our first contact with God should recognize not what we have to give him, but what we do not have. And Jesus told this story, as it says, he says he told this to some who trusted in themselves, some who looked to their own work and own ability and own capabilities as a, as a ground for, for merit, that they believed that they deserved something from God, that God owed them something. We might often think that, people are, that some people are too bad to get to heaven. We think of that a lot, I imagine. It crosses our mind. A person's a bad person. They, they're too bad to get to heaven. 
But the truth is, some people are too good to get to heaven. Too good, meaning that they are like the man in, in Luke chapter 18, that they, they saw their own good works, they saw what they had in their own life, and they rested on these as, as, as grounds for what God should do for them. And here is what it means to be poor in spirit. To be poor is to recognize that when it comes to our own merit, we are, we are lower than the lower class. We are poor. We are destitute. We are in poverty. We have nothing. And so Jesus says to those who are spiritually poor that they're not left without hope, that they're not hopeless in their lives. But for the first time, they become perfect candidates for the grace of God, for the mercy of God. <clears throat> Jesus says elsewhere, he says, it is the sick who need a physician, not the healthy. Or those who are hurting and broken. When I was in South Africa one year, um, we watched this movie they put on for us, and it was called Animals Are People Too. And, you know, you go to Africa, and there's just animals everywhere, these exotic animals, pretty amazing. And we, they put on this movie, and we watch it. And, and there, it showed us how these people in, um, in Africa hunt monkeys. And they make these clay domes, and these, these clay domes harden, and they drill a hole in the side of, of the wall of this dome. And they just big enough for the monkey's hand, and then they drop some nuts and berries in there. And the monkey comes along, the most stubborn monkey, the most hardest monkey to catch. And, and the monkey puts his hand in there, and he grabs the fruit and nuts. And then as he pulls his hand out with his clenched fist, his fist is now bigger than his open hand, and he can't get out. Can't get out. And he's frantic. You see this monkey just screaming hysterically. I mean, he's just throwing a fit, pulling harder and harder and harder, trying to get these berries out. And then you just see the hunters just walk, nonchalantly just walking over to the monkey in no, no hurry at all. And the monkey gets crazier and crazier and frantic and frantic, grabbing, grabbing, grabbing. And the, the, the hunter just comes over and bonks him on the head and begs him, and, 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 and it's the end of the story. And all this monkey needed to do to escape was just empty his hand, empty his hand and give up what the, this treasure he was holding onto, and he would be free. But the hunters knew his stubbornness. Puritan Thomas Watson says this, if a hand be full of pebbles, it cannot receive gold. If a hand be full of pebbles... I don't, he was either a Puritan or a pirate. I don't know. If a hand be full of pebbles, it cannot receive gold. And the underlying foundation of Jesus' kingdom is poverty. It's, it's not possessions. It's not what we're holding on to, but it's recognizing what we don't have. It's not about making decisions for Jesus and doing something good for Jesus that he in return would do something good for us. It's not a I'll scratch your back and you scratch mine. It's having a sense of absolute need that we finally admit, Lord, I cannot even begin to get it. I cannot even begin to take a step towards you. I am so needy and so weak. And then it's when we hear Jesus saying, Blessed are you. The belief in our own spiritual, spiritual poverty is what brings us to the proper place where Jesus can accomplish the work he desires to do in us. And poor in spirit is, is not a, a sad person. I'm going to ask people this week, as getting a sense of, sometimes I do this if I'm, I just ask people questions about what I'm going to preach on, just to get a sense of like, what are you thinking? You know, what, what, do you, what do you think about this? I said, what does it mean to be poor in spirit? And this person said, well, it just seems like that's just like a real sad person. It's a person that's just like lonely and sad and um, really weak and just kind of gloomy in their life. And I understand that. I, it gives that connota- connotation, I think. 
But being poor in spirit is not someone who's sad, but because a sad person is not experiencing freedom. A sad person is not free. And freedom in Christ is experienced when we realize that the very, very thing we need to do is to acknowledge our own neediness, our utter neediness, our poverty, our bankruptcy. And then it is then only we can truly see the pebbles falling out of our hand, out of our spiritual hands, and Christ filling it with his riches, with gold. Charles Spurgeon says, Poverty of spirit empties a man, and so makes him ready to be filled. It exposes his wounds to the oil and wine of the good physician. It is being poor in spirit when we pull back that gauze and our wound is exposed and we finally say, I need help, I need healing. And I can't even begin to do it on my own. And we hear Jesus saying, blessed are you, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to you. This is what a citizen of the kingdom of heaven looks like. This is the DNA. These are the genes that are real in a person who belongs to Jesus. And so what does this mean for us today? Because here we're giving a snapshot, a picture of a picture, a sermon of a sermon. And we see, what does it mean? That is what it means. That we see this characteristic of a follower of Jesus as one who, who gets a sense of their own absolute need and opens up their hand and their heart and their mouth to be filled with God. So what does it look like to practice? Let's spend the rest of our time talking about that. What are some applications? What does it look like to practice being poor in the Spirit? Maybe you can think of this and say, well, am I poor in Spirit? Do I, do I have that, uh, that attitude? Is, it, is the poverty in Spirit manifesting itself in my life? To which we should look at these things, we should question, we should not feel despair if we don't see them, but we should allow God to, to communicate to us, to teach us, and we should embrace that. We say, I want to learn, teach me, and that's what we want to do. And so practicing being poor in spirit, here's the first one. Understand what you truly need and want. Don't ask me the hardest question around Christmas and birthdays. The hardest question you can ask me is, what do you want? What do you want for Christmas? What do you want for your birthday? Because if you have a list of, of all the things that you want on a daily basis, you're, you're one of two things. You're, you're, uh, you're poor or spoiled. Okay? There's no other option. If you, or you're like, I don't know, you're six or something. It, you just... All these things that you want, you're, you're poor or spoiled. Ask someone in, who is poor. Now we talk about just physical poor, materialistically poor. You ask someone who is poor, economically poor, what do they want or need? They can t- tell you generally a few things pretty quickly. I'd like a, a hearty meal, a fresh pair of socks, a place to call home, a cold drink of water. And so a person who is poor in spirit is, a, is aware of their need for Jesus and without him, they're hurting. They recognize right away that they are hurting. I want a thankful heart. I want a compassionate heart. See, if you're poor in spirit, you know where you're weak. You know what you're lacking. You know what you desire. I want to be like Jesus. I want to love as he loves, and I don't. I want the grace of God to be big in my life. I want his peace. I want his wisdom, his patience. I want humility. These are things that I think about. I want these things, and I know that I don't have these things person who is poor in spirit is, is spiritually real. They are authentic. They, they, they're able to communicate their heart and need in, in a real way. 
There's no false pride, no false sense of humility when it comes to expressing their need. What do you want for Christmas? All I want for Christmas is the warm embrace of the ones I love. What? Like, come on, be real. Like, what do you really want? That's ridiculous. The sound of laughter in the background. That's all I want. You're, you're not being real. You're being so fake. Like, tell me, like, seriously what you want. Stop being a weirdo and just, like, there are things that you want. We can do that spiritually. I mean, we could just be inauthentic. False humility with Jesus is an indication of just lingering pride in our heart. Somewhere in the back of our heart, we're really believing God is great and nice in my life, but I'm doing pretty good on my own. What are you missing in your relationship with God? What is not there that you want to be there? That is when we are practicing being poor in spirit. Have you ever missed Jesus? Like, have you ever been in, in, in a place in your life and you ha- your heart is just broken and the only thing that you could muster up was, I just miss Jesus. Some of you might be thinking, I have no idea what that, that feels like. I have no idea what that looks like to, to miss Jesus. What does it even mean to miss him? What does it mean to have him there? It's good questions to ask. If any of you lacks wisdom, James tells us, let him ask of God. And I think that could be true for any other quality, any other Christ-like manifestation. If any of us lack humility, if any of us lack understanding, patience, if any of us lack goodness and gentleness, let him ask of God, and he desires to give it. This sermon from Jesus creates a, a sense of need, a sense of need, as he, as he says all these things with repetition, blessed are those, blessed are those, blessed, blessed. It creates a need, and, and we should have this need created in us where we're like, I need Christ. Not just in spurts, not in just a half hour every week on Sundays. Like, I need him in my life to sustain me, to govern me, to love me, to fill me continually. I need his presence. There's this scene in one of my favorite movies, What About Bob? Um, it's, it's an antique. You've got to go and find it somewhere. Rented VHS. Find it and play it. It's, it's great. There's a scene. Bob, Bob's crazy. Uh, he is uh, you know, kind of schizophrenic. Um, he's got a lot of issues, and his, his psychiatrist is going on vacation. And Bob is uh, he's neurotic. He's crazy, right? And so he finds out that his psychiatrist is going on vacation, and he just loses it. He can't handle it. He can't cope with his psychiatrist being gone for a moment. And so he finds out where he's going. He's going to Lake Winnipesaukee, right? And so he goes there, and he shows up at the bus station, gets off the bus, and he looks around. He starts yelling for uh, Dr. Leo Marvin, right? And that's right. That's his name, right? Yeah. Okay. I was, thought it was that. I get that mixed up with Third Rotten Scoundrels. And anyway, um, and, um, and he yells and he sees him and he sees him. He runs up to him and, and he finds his doctor and pleads with him to help. And the doctor says, no, I don't see patients on vacation. Anyway, let me get to it. Then Bob goes into this just toddler fit. And he says, I'm really in bad shape. Give me, give me, give me. I need, I need, I need. And he just repeats himself over and over. And the doctor says, fine, fine, fine. I'll see you. Meet me at lunch. And I see this scene in Bob just like, just losing it. Just like expressing just this miserable need. Give me, give me, give me. It's all about me. I need help me, help me, help me. And we need to be this kind of person, not whining to God, but the kind of person who is bent out of shape when we sense a, a, just a departure of the presence of God in our life. We need to be bent out of shape when the supply of Jesus' grace in our life seems to be short. We need to miss him. 
So much so that we are just pouring out our need. And if you realize that you're lacking something spiritually, it's because you have come in contact with a spiritual reality. You, you, have, you recognize something that is real. So if you are at that place where you see, yeah, there's, there's a lot of things that I'm really weak in, here's my encouragement to you. Don't, don't put your blinders on. Don't tell yourself, you know what, everybody struggles. Everybody's weak. This is just, we'll get through it. We'll turn the page. We'll wake up tomorrow and start all over again. Do not ignore it. Because for you to recognize a spiritual need in your life is a, is a good thing. It's the Spirit, I believe, working in your life. The Holy Spirit, God, is working in your life, communicating to you, loving you. He is being merciful to you to expose this spiritual reality. The worst thing you can do is put a blinder on. The best thing you can do is recognize it, stop, see the need, and ask for help. To say, okay, God, Give me, give me, give me. I need, I need, I need. Help me. I'm a mess here. Where pride is disarmed and we are asking God for help. And so, do you know what you truly need? And I hope that you'll spend some time today just thinking about that. Like, what do I need? I think about that. Spend some time in prayer. And that goes into our next one. Practicing poor in spirit is practicing getting deeper in prayer. To ask, actually, in the Bible, when it talks about asking as God tells us to ask, it's like begging. It's actually begging. A beggar doesn't ask out of any other reason, out of just complete hopelessness and painful, of, the, of the painful condition of his poverty, recognizing their pain of their poverty, and they ask. A poor man is a beggar. A beggar. A truly poor person doesn't pray because uh, he believes that God owes him something, that God... Uh, should do something for them because they, de- they de- deserve it. But their prayers come from a, a hopeless need. I believe the health of our prayer life is corresponding to our belief and our need for God. The more we recognize that we actually need God, like the first point, recognizing our need, recognizing our not wants, recognizing that we are poor, that corresponds with a healthy prayer life. If we don't have a healthy prayer life, if we rarely go to God in prayer, begging for his mercy and grace and guidance and counsel, comfort. If we rarely do that, then we, we probably don't realize we need him. If we do not pray, it's because we believe either we don't need God, as bad as we do, we don't want God involved because he might tell us some things we don't enjoy, or we don't think that he cares, and all of those are not true. We do need God actually greater than we think we do, He does want to be involved and knows exactly what we're going through, and he cares. And so, are you deep in prayer? Is that a characteristic of your life? It is for a person who loves, follows Jesus. The next one is learn to be content with Christ's terms. This is a hard one. Actually, all of these are are difficult. This one is, is particularly difficult. Being poor in spirit, it quiets the noise around us in our life. When a person is brought off of themselves and, and, tr- and put into the trust of Christ, there's real peace, there's real contentment. When a person stops trusting in their own merits, trusting in their self and their own energy, the uh, lasting of their own character, and begins trusting in Christ, there's a sense of just freedom, a sense of relief, a sense of quiet. And where there's cha- the chaos doesn't change in our life, but there's a sense of, I can handle what's going on around me. I'm content, I'm, I'm sober, I'm, I'm, I, 
I am okay because I have Jesus. And to be poor in spirit is to see yourself lost without Christ. And you're willing to have Christ on his terms rather than to not have him at all. And so it is okay as a, as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, to say, Jesus, I don't know what you're doing. I don't get it. I don't understand why this is happening in my life. But, but nonetheless, I want you rather than to not have you at all. And so I'm going to learn how to be content with you on your terms, in my ignorance and in my confusion. I know I'd rather have you than not have you. And so I want to be content. And contentment with stewardship. It's, you know, contentment doesn't mean we just pour cement in our boots and we just say, okay, here I am. I'm just going to wait on God and not do anything. But we're called to be content with joy, to be stewards, contentment with stewardship. Mercy motivated effort, recognizing that all we have is a gift from God. And so we, we are being called out by him, pursuing him, putting effort into our life and in our sanctification. Not to be loved by God, but because we believe that he loves us and has given himself for us. So being content with God and, and Christ on his terms is not just, it's not saying when, when you know, the world gives you lemons, make lemonade. Because if he doesn't give you sugar, it's just like really sour lemon water. Right? So there's got to be more than that. It's believing that horrible things happen, horrible things will happen, and we still belong to Jesus. We still have his immeasurable grace. We still have his mercy. We have still been adopted and called his beloved. We still have blessing. We have Jesus. And when we have Jesus and lose everything, we still have everything. Ephesians 2 talks of these immeasurable riches in a very wonderful passage, starting in verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. This is giving us a glimpse of saying, do you realize that when you have Christ, what you really have that you have everything, that you, there is riches in poverty. That when you empty your hands of the small treasures that you had in your life and the things that, may, that you, they were proud of, you don't end up with nothing. You actually end up with everything. By being poor, you become rich, and you become rich with the riches of heaven. That Jesus desires and loves to, to manifest in your life, both spiritual and earthly blessings. We see the privilege now in this contentment in our lives. We see the privilege in the future that is to come, and we trust in Him. And lastly, here's where I want to finish up as we think about how do we apply this, how we practice this poverty in spirit is be a champion for grace. Be a champion for grace. The smallest diamond, I I read the smallest diamond is still worth more than the biggest pebble, right? Obvious. smallest diamond is worth more. So it is with grace. The smallest, the lowest degree of God's grace is still more powerful than the greatest degree of our, of our effort. And as a criminal who's just been pardoned, a criminal who's been forgiven and set free, how greatly he proclaims the goodness that just came to him. 
that he has just received. And so God's grace leads to salvation. God's grace brings salvation. It is a gift that is undeserved. It is entirely undeserved, and it is absolutely free. It is free for us because it was very expensive for Jesus. See, grace is free, but it was bought for us at a great price. The very life of Christ, his very blood, he died on the cross, sacrificed himself for us in our place. He became our sin so that we could become his life. We could become his righteousness. It's, it's sobering to hear these words. These are the words of Jesus. Imagine this. He's sitting on this hilltop, or this hillside, and thousands of people, crowds are coming to him, people that are economically poor, people that can't do anything for him. He observes the crowds, and these people want, they want to know, how do I get into your kingdom? How do I become a citizen of what you're about to do? See, they saw him as an earthly king. Like, maybe one day he's going to conquer our enemies. He's going to be king of this land. And finally, we will have protection, security, privilege, reward. How do we get? Can we just follow you? How can we get what you have? What can we give? What will it cost and what can I bring? And who gets in? And remember, Jesus is saying this. And he's saying to them and to us, those who realize that the price is paid already, he says, I'm going to be the one that's going to pay what you need to pay. I'm going to be the one that is going to pay the price with my life. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Because if you empty your life and recognize my riches, then you will have the kingdom of heaven. Those who realize that the price has been paid, they are the ones that are blessed. They, they are the ones with the empty hands that open up their hands and say, fill it, fill it with your riches. So when we see someone fail, maybe we even see us fail, or when someone lets us down, or someone does something that's completely foolish, we may quickly begin to think, what does that person deserve? What, what punishment should come their way? What do they really deserve for doing the bad that they just did? But the gospel of grace screams out, by God's mercy, you and I don't get what we deserve. By God's mercy, we get His grace. And this is the message that should echo in our lives and every one of us. And when you do this, you, you'll know what it really means to be poor. It's not a sad person. It's not a weak person. It's a person who becomes strong because they've emptied themselves of their weak treasures and receive the great treasure of God's grace. Let's pray. For more audio and information, please visit holycrosstucson.com.